Today is Reformation Sunday. It's a Sunday when we nod to the power of change, not change for change's sake, but change for the sake of love, specifically God's love in Christ Jesus at work in the church. When Martin Luther saw the church abuse its power, making the poor pay indulgences, telling them that they might get out of purgatory and into heaven sooner, he challenged a transactional theology. It was his way, it was his pastoral response. Salvation was not about what you said or did or how much money you paid in indulgences. Salvation came from faith in Jesus Christ alone. John Calvin followed Luther, continuing to push for reforms in the church. He wrote his magnum opus, The Institutes of Christian Religion, when he was 27 years old. His institutes basically gave you everything that you need to know about the whole sum of godliness and whatever is necessary to know about God's saving grace. Calvin had intended to be an academician but found himself in Geneva and felt strongly God's call that he couldn't run away, that he needed to be a pastor. So he ended up in Geneva where reportedly he preached two sermons on Sunday, each were an hour long, and then every other day of the week, about hour-long sermons. Calvin, we give great thanks to him for the ways that he built an education system that literally has changed the world and has helped us be who we are as Presbyterians. Again, it was not change for change's sake, but for the church and her people to be rightly ordered around the word, around a biblical faith. The church reformed, always reforming in the word of God. God is constantly at work in and through us in Christ Jesus, whose love always leads the way. And reformation, whether that's in the church or in the Constitution, it isn't always easy. Bryn Greenwood, who is the author of All the Ugly and Wonderful Things, tweeted recently, if you only read books that make you feel safe and comfortable, What's the point in reading? She wasn't talking about reading the Bible, but certainly she could have been. To be reformed by the word of God, we have to be reading it. We have to be studying it. And it's not always a really make-you-feel-good word. Think about Lot's wife. Think about that stranger that was making his way from Jerusalem to Jericho and ended up assaulted by thieves and robbers and left to die on the road. When we read scripture, it requires of us an honest view and an examination of our roles in the parables, like the Good Samaritan, can bring a goodly dose of discomfort so Bryn Greenwood, this author who made this challenge to us about read things that are hard. She talks about a writing exercise at Kansas State. 
and a particular methodology for writing. For homework, students are sent home and invited to write a story about an encounter with someone who radically altered their view of the world, an exchange with somebody that changed the way you see things. And then they come to class with these stories written and they share them aloud. And then in class, the professor says, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. Now I want you to write it. I want you to write the story from the perspective of the other person. When we come to this text in Matthew about the greatest commandment and the one that is like it, Jesus has been flexing the muscles of disagreement on behalf of those who have been marginalized. Jesus has been doing the work of God's love, living in loving kindness and active mercy for justice. And in doing so, he reveals the power of God's love at work in him. Jesus, the Messiah, is the Lord's, the Son of God. And Jesus responds to God's love with the whole of who he is. It takes him to the cross. It takes him through pain and suffering. These religious leaders, and in this case, from this morning's text, it's a lawyer. This lawyer is seeking to demonstrate a win or a gotcha. He's trying to entrap Jesus. The lawyer was confident that he was right. He had Jesus just where he needed him. And that trap is set for there's only one answer, and it is right, absolutely right. It was black and white. But with Jesus, <laughs> nothing is that simple. Nothing's that simple in life, really. And so when Jesus is asked about what is this greatest commandment, he sets that first commandment into greater perspective for the lawyer by saying, first, I want you to love God, which is drawn from Deuteronomy and the Shema. And then he quickly says, and love your neighbor like yourself. And this second piece is drawn from Leviticus. And so it adds depth to the perspective so we've got this command to love God, but also to love your neighbor like you love yourself. Jesus says everything, judgment and salvation, everything, the whole of life hangs on these two commandments. Because God's love is an action. In his institutes, John Calvin said of such love, love is the first and the great thing that God demands from us, and therefore the first and great thing that we should devote to God. We learn from this that God does not rest satisfied with the outward appearance of works, but God chiefly demands the inward feelings that come from a good root and from which fruits may grow. When we trust in God's care and provision, we grow in love and in faithfulness. We look to the neighbor first, and we don't judge. 
but we serve in love, no matter the obstacle. As Paul says in Romans, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of the law. Paul Tillich says it this way, in order to know what is just in a person-to-person encounter, love listens. It is the first task of love to listen. The first duty of love is to listen. An interesting perspective or question maybe for us to examine is how do we from those good roots of God's good love, how do we listen? How do we listen as disciples of Jesus Christ? Do we listen from our neighbor's perspective? Is he or is she truly experiencing God's love from us? When we love our neighbors like ourselves, God's love is not a love that leads down a pathway of least resistance. Some days I think it probably feels more like an obstacle course. When we love our neighbors like ourselves, God's love ensures justice for our neighbors, not indifference nor hostility. When we love our neighbors like ourselves, God's love is not earned by some good Christian behavior that avoids biblical imperatives for justice. Embodying God's love in Christ Jesus, it is hard work. In this story today, Jesus reveals great forbearance to all those tests and confrontations. Thomas Merton says that our job is to love others without stopping to judge whether or not they are worthy. God's act of love held on to Jesus in that place of discomfort as he asked the hard question. What do you think, what do you think of the Messiah? What do you think of the Messiah? This week, Dolly Parton was a virtual guest on the Stephen Colbert show. And Stephen Colbert cried as Dolly described the way that her mother wove stories into songs. She was a song teller. Wiping his tears away, he said, well, Dolly, what are you writing these days? (laughs) And in that voice, which maybe you can hear, she responded, I don't know if I'm writing to the world or if I'm writing to a person, but it goes something like this. And she sang it. I'm not going to sing it for you. The lyrics were, I love you, whether you like it or not. You can't tell me what to do. You can't make me not love you because I love you and you can't stop me. Dolly's song that she's working on writing 
sounds like lyrics for working for reform as a church in a polarized world. That's it, isn't it? You can't make me not love you. Listen. Love God and love your neighbor. Put yourself in your neighbor's shoes to test the love that you share. Is it unconditional? Is it without judgment? Is it unlimited? Listen. Is it of God? To God be all glory, now and forever. Amen.